Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Praise God. Good things going on at One Cause Irving, One Cause Granbury, and One Cause McKinney. Amen. I had a gentleman in our church, Brother Bud Kick. And we'll, we'll talk about these two boys that have come all the way from Swaziland to uh, attend Christ for the Nations, who uh, Brother Bud and his wife Melinda have um, basically adopted them as sons, certainly sons of faith, and have been wanting to get them here to get them trained up in the things of God and go back and start a church. And he told me a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week and a half ago, he said, Pastor, because we were talking about One Cause Irving, you know, our, our new branch there. He said, can't you see? I can just see it. One Cause Swaziland. I said, he said, let's take it international. Said, All right, let's do it, man. Let's do it. Who knows? Who knows where we're going to end up? Praise God. Amen. God is increasing us, and I'm so excited about it. Praise God. Why not? If we're, if we're going to be here, we might as well take over. Huh? Might as well take over. Yeah. All right, let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Luke. We are in our Route 66 series and covering um, the books of the Bible one at a time, one week at a time, basically. A couple we have coupled together, some in the Old Testament that were uh, very close kin during time and, and message, so we you know, bunched a couple of those up together, but basically we've been one book at a time doing a snapshot of each book of the Bible just to give you a, an overall synopsis of the scriptures. And uh, we use a map where we bring a memento on that trip to that book, something that you can bring home and apply to your life, a truth you can meditate on for that week, and an attraction. It's where we look over the overall theme of the book, maybe the, a large story, a big theological truth there. And then we always end up at P, the person of Jesus. Amen. So let's, let's talk about Luke for a moment, or shall I say Dr. Luke. Luke is, he's only mentioned by name three times in the scriptures, and none of those times are from him. He is the author of both Luke and Acts. Matter of fact, there's so much in those books, a total of 52 chapters amongst them, that Luke ends up writing one-third of the New Testament. One of the most influential, I believe next to Paul, he's the most influential New Testament writer and yet virtually unknown. And I think Luke likes it that way. All three references to Luke's name are all in Paul's letters. Most biblical scholars support that Luke is the author of both of the books of Luke and Acts. Um, and, and the reason that, that they believe that is because of the, they are, uh, the, solemn, the similarity of writing, the writing style and uh, vocabulary that's in both books. Um, and another reason is that in Luke, in the book of Acts, especially in Acts chapter 16, used the term we um, uh, several times to refer to his missionary travels in, the, in, in that book. So especially chapter 16, you can see it. Though Luke was he was not present with Jesus during his earthly ministry and likely not a believer even until after Jesus' resurrection. His attention to detail and abundant eyewitness accounts serve him as credible, a credible historian for the life, death, and resurrection 
of Christ. Um, his gospel contains several parables uh, and eyewitness, eyewitness accounts that are only in his gospel, uh, such as the, the pre-birth account of John the Baptist, uh, the story of the two men who met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Emmaus, which sparked a whole ministry, uh, as well as the stories of miraculous healing. He was a physician. Paul mentions this in Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Um, his gospel is the longest of the four gospels, not the longest in chapter, but the longest in content, and uh, includes, the, the gospel of Luke includes the most healing stories, uh, showing certainly his interest and compassion for the sick. So I, I want to encourage you, if you yourself are battling some kind of illness, sickness, and you are walking this thing out by faith, accepting only God's report of healing for you or someone else, get into the book of Luke. Most of his, like I said, he has more stories on healing than anybody else. So spend some time there. Uh, his gospel also has the most uh, de detailed account uh, of Christ's birth. And uh, he's more descriptive about Christ's death as well and resurrection. So the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts uh, give a great summation. You know, it's, it spans, Luke's writings span 60 years of time, from the birth of John the Baptist all the way to the Gospel being preached in Rome. An amazing um, collection. And it is most likely that Luke wrote this Gospel around or before 63 AD, uh, before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Because he never mentions it. And you would think a guy who pays attention to details as Luke does would mention it if it had happened. Uh, I can't remember, and maybe you can, I don't know. Maybe I can't remember ever a sermon, hearing a sermon ever preached on Luke. It's just one of the unknown, quiet writers of the New Testament. Um, like I said, his, his uh, writing spans 60 years, and no other writer wrote so uh, comprehensive a history of Jesus, and he opens up, can we turn over to Luke chapter 1 for a moment? I didn't have this in the notes, but I want you to see exactly how he plans to uh, lay out his writing and tell the story of Christ. And he's writing a fellow by the name of Theophilus, both Luke and Acts are addressed to this man, Theophilus, all right? So uh, Luke chapter 1, maybe I just need to read it from here. We're having some technical difficulties with our screen, and so these guys are typing all these scriptures out by hand. So can, can we give them a hand? Yeah. God bless them. Better them than me. So Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bible with you, you can just... God forbid you'd turn and look at a Bible in your lap, huh? <laughs> Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those from, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were 
instructive. There's lots of opinions about who Theophilus was. I think the one that is, seems most accurate is that he was some kind of Roman official. Um, so we'll just leave it at that because all we can do is really speculate about who he is. Luke is a Greek name, and he writes with the Greek style. He's highly educated with his chosen vocabulary, similar to other Greek writers in his day. Um, he used Greek expressions rather than Hebrew uh, versions, showing that he was more comfortable with the Greek language. We also knew, know that Luke was a Gentile. And the reason that's important for us is because we're Gentiles, number one. But also, he stands out from all the other authors of the Bible. He's the only Gentile to write a book in the Bible. Uh, Paul addresses him um, in, Luke, in Colossians 4. There's also something else very interesting in 2 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul talks about everyone has left him except Luke. Only Luke was there with him. And Luke truly cared for Paul and spent many years with him. But I have a feeling Luke was also there to help Paul in all of his physical infirmities, to bring aid as a doctor to him, to help him get healthy quicker. He presents Jesus, and this is what I want to talk about. Remember, we talked about Matthew, how he presents Jesus to the world, to the Jewish world especially. And Matthew introduces Jesus as the what? Anybody remember? Jesus, maybe we need to restart. As the king, all right? Remember Matthew, um, when he brings up Jesus' genealogy, he talks about him as being the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is there to prove that Jesus has a right to that royal throne. He is rightfully the son of David, so he has a right to be king. He's the son of Abraham, so he has the right to be the redeemer of Israel. All right? So Matthew makes his case for Christ as king and redeemer of his people. Mark, we, we learned last week, is one who gets right to the point. As I told you, in, in those 16 chapters, over 40 times, he says the word straightway or immediately and words like it. Mark doesn't take time in the journey. He just says, and immediately he did this, and immediately Jesus did this, and straightway Jesus did this. He just goes from event to event to event. And Mark's gospel is more about what Jesus did than what he said as he presents 16 miracles versus nine parables. And Mark uh, presents Jesus as the servant. And all of Mark can be summed up about Christ in one verse, Mark 10, 45, where Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. But Luke brings us to the other side of Christ that really relates to us. He presents Jesus as the son of man. So he doesn't take Matthew's genealogy that comes from David and from Abraham and, and, and highlights it from there that as that, that's the origin and then takes him all the way through his stepfather, Joseph. Luke takes him from Mary's side and brings that genealogy through Mary and Luke takes him all the way, not to Abraham, not to David, not even to Noah. He takes his genealogy all the way back to the first man, Adam. And you can read that account in Luke chapter 3. And it comes through Mary. So it's interesting that both through Joseph and through Mary, 
both of them are uh, in the lineage of David. And this is a, a very most important thing for us to understand and to learn about Jesus' humanity because he is the, he was the walking, living embodiment of God's covenant with mankind because in him was blood that was mingled, made up of God's blood and man's blood. And in a covenant, both sides must give. And so, uh, now, while this baby, while a child, a baby is in the womb, it doesn't share its blood with its mother, but it does get much of its genetic contribution from the egg, all right? So that's where it gets its, that's where it gets its characteristic from the egg of the mother. Now, the father's blood uh, contributes much, and, and it determines the blood type of the baby. But those two things coming together in a molecular level uh, to make up the... Uh, the um, um, the, the DNA, both father and mother contribute to that. And so we see in the person of Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, God and man as one. Marvelous thing. Listen to this. Romans chapter 1, verse 3 says, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. That's how he is of the seed of David according to the flesh. He's the seed of God according to the spirit, but he's the seed of David. The word seed in the Greek is the word sperma. I don't think you have to look far to see where we get our word. All right. Just in case, remove the A and <laughs> you can get a better understanding. So this is how God made covenant with man. And... Um, Acts 22, verse 8. This is such a powerful thought. In, in, in the book of Acts, another, the other book that Luke wrote, three different times uh, Paul's testimony is recorded on his road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, Acts 22, and Acts 28, 6. 8, 6. I'm arguing with myself. Not, it's 6. Or 28. <laughs> I can't remember. He's standing before Festus or Felix, one of those two. But that's not really the point. Acts 22 is what I want to look at, a verse here. And Paul says, he's, and, and he's given this account again, and he says, So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am who? Jesus of what? Now let me ask you something. Where is Jesus when he's saying this? Where is Jesus when he's saying this to Paul? Remember, as he's on the road to Damascus, a light shone from heaven, right? And that voice came from heaven. And there's Jesus sitting on the throne uh, at the Father's right hand, speaking down to the earth to Paul or to Saul at this time. And he says to him, I am Jesus of Nazareth. If he's talking in the present tense, he would be Jesus of heaven. I am Jesus of the right hand of God. But he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, so that all of us can understand that Jesus is still a man. Though he is now in heaven, he is a man seated there and who is still identifying with his hometown of Nazareth. Yeah. I Amen. love that. Yeah. Amen. It's like he's proud of where he came from. Yeah. Nazareth. Nazareth had a 
less than reputable uh, uh, reputation. It just did not have a, well, do you remember what Nathaniel said about it? One of his disciples says, you need to come meet Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? All right, so it, it was not known um, to be a place of, uh, uh, of high class. Watch, Luke shows us Jesus, the Son of Man. And we see that clearly in, in Luke chapter 3. He, the words, the Son of Man, are written 23 times in the book of Luke. But I want for a moment to look at the overall picture of Luke, some special things about this book. It's 24 chapters long. There are six miracles of Jesus that are exclusive only to the gospel of Luke. Now, you know Luke is one of the, one of the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And historians believe that Mark was basically the outline for both Matthew and Luke to, um, to use to write their more detailed accounts. Interestingly enough, there's a very good chance because Luke uh, traveled with Paul, but we also know that Mark also traveled with Paul. So in, in, in uh, Acts, he's known as John Mark, as Barnabas' nephew. So we know that at, there were times where Luke and Mark both traveled together. So Luke had plenty of time to get some information from Mark along the way. Um, <clears throat> so these miracles, this is really cool. Luke chapter 5 teaches us uh, about... The, a catch of fish where Jesus, remember he told Simon, launch out into the deep and you'll find a great catch. And Peter said, Lord, we've been toiling all night and we've got nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And so he let down the net. But Jesus did give him specific instructions to let down the nets. And he let down the net and there was way too much fish for that net and that net started breaking. So they had to bring other boats over to fill uh, up those boats with the fish because of the multitude of fish. That'll teach you, Peter, next time let down more than one. That's, an, that's a great story. Luke chapter 17, we see the, uh, where Jesus came to the town of Nain, N-A-I-N, and this where he raised the widow's son from the dead. As they, were, as they were coming out with their funeral procession, Jesus saw her weeping. She has no husband, and now she has no son. And he says he had compassion over and walked over, and laid his hand on the coffin, and they stopped there in the place, and he said, rise, told the boy to live, and the boy sat up. Luke chapter 13, Jesus is in the temple, and a woman comes in who's been bent over like this for 18 years, and he tells her, daughter, be loosed from your infirmity, and she stood up straight. And this amazing miracle on the Sabbath day, the religious people griped about the fact that he did it on the Sabbath. And Jesus had to talk to them about their problems. He said, you, you leave out the weightier matters of the law. You're all caught up in all the, the dotting the, dot the I and crossing the T, but you forgot about justice, mercy, and faith. Luke chapter 14, also on another Sabbath day. I almost feel like Jesus was kind of picking a fight. <laughs> He's there in the temple again, and a man with what's called dropsy needed to be healed of his affliction, and Jesus healed him. And yet again, they got upset about it. The story of where Jesus healed the ten lepers, remember? In Luke chapter 17, he healed the ten lepers, and only one returned to give him thanks. 
Only Luke gives that account. Also, um, where he healed the servant Malchus. Now, we know in some other accounts where we know that Peter cut off this servant's ear when they were in the garden. But Luke's the only one, the doctor, to give us the full story where Jesus put that ear back on his head and healed him. Wow. There are 16 parables of Jesus that are exclusive only to Luke. Not only miracles, but also parables. Lots of teaching here. The creditor and the two debtors. The Good Samaritan story is only found in Luke. Uh, A friend in need, the rich fool. I'll just name a few and you can go look for yourself in the other ones. The lost coin, how about this one? The prodigal son, it's only found in the book of Luke. The rich man and Lazarus. The persistent widow, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember when they went to pray? Went to the temple? And the Pharisee said, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other men, extortioners, adulterers, certainly not like this tax collector. I tithe, he says, I fast twice a week. And I tithe on a regular basis. He said, but the tax collector couldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat upon his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one do you think of these two men went home justified that day? Some scriptures that you know from Luke. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, I love this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. How about Luke six thirty-eight? Maybe you've heard this in offering more than any other offering scripture. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I love that. Now, Matthew's account says, give good things to those who ask him. And Luke says, give the Holy Spirit. So what we learn from that is that when you get the Holy Spirit, you get all the good things in the person of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Um, Luke chapter 23, verse 34 is where we hear these words from Jesus where he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's the only account that says this. How about verse 43? And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's the only place. It's found where Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you're going with me. I love that story. Don't you love that story? How much Jesus is involved in building his church and expanding his kingdom and just how great his love is that a man in his dying breath who has wasted his life uh, living for himself and and a a criminal who's, who's there on that cross deserving of his death and yet Jesus accepts him because he turns to him and says, Lord, remember me. All he said was, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, that's, that's all I need to hear. I'll take you with me. And the greatest statement of faith ever uttered by a man on this planet. Now, there have been some great statements of faith uttered by men on this planet. Some great statements of faith. One that I can think of is where Joshua told the universe 
the entire solar system to stop. And it did. That's a pretty big miracle. There's some great statements of faith, but this one trumps all of them. When Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What makes that such a great statement of faith? Because Jesus at this point has become the sin center of the universe. His father had forsaken him. Because right before he said this, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus wasn't mincing words. He had to be forsaken so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be accepted. So he became forsaken for you. The father forsook his son, and now here he is. All he has now, he has no sense of the presence of God. None. He is lost, 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 lost. And yet he cries out into that darkness as he is falling, as it were, headlong into hell. And he cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. No reason to hope. Just faith in God. That's all he had left. I want to finish with this, this memento tonight. Everybody okay? You learning something? Yeah. Amen. So much, so much, so many good stuff here. <laughs> Luke chapter 16. And this is the parable of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I've had students ask me, um, are the stories that Jesus told true stories? Or was he just kind of using examples? Are they, are they, was he using actual stories or was he just kind of making up stories to make his point? Well, I think it's, we're more likely to lean toward that all of them were true stories. Because every story that Jesus told, every parable that Jesus told uh, was possible for it to be true. And this is one that we learn something about the other side, the way it was back then. It's not like this now. There was this holding place called paradise or also known as Abraham's bosom, all right? And it was held for those. Now, it was, it was in hell, but it wasn't in the area known as Gehenna, the torturing part, the flames and where their worm does not die and, and, and it's all day and all night long. It's just nothing but torture. But they were in this holding place called Abraham's bosom, and those who, who believed and looked for the day for their Redeemer to come. All they had basically was their promissory note in hand saying, someday he's coming. And so they were in this holding place. And I, I imagine it was still not great for them because there was a chasm that separated them from those in hell, but still they could see those who were being in torment. Imagine that. And hearing their cries. Because Jesus tells the story about a rich man who had a servant by the name of Lazarus who was a beggar. And, and in the process of time, Lazarus died and he went to Abraham's bosom. But the rich man died and because he trusted in his riches, he went to Gehenna, to the flames. And so he's crying out. He sees Abraham from afar. From afar, because he was in the far. Oh, okay. He sees Abraham and he says, Father Abraham, could you get my servant Lazarus? This, this guy still sees Lazarus as his servant. 
Dude, you are dead and gone. This guy doesn't work for you anymore. And get him to get uh, 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 some water and just put it on my tongue. I need some relief. And Abraham said, it's not going to happen. There's no way it could even happen because of this chasm that separates us. There's no way it can happen. So then he said, "Uh, well, then then do something for me. Send somebody, maybe send Lazarus back from the dead and and go tell my brothers uh, uh, the truth. Let them see this resurrected man so that they'll believe and not come to this place. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if, the, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Wow. Now, with that thought, I want us to go to Luke chapter 24. Then he said to them, O foolish ones. Now, these are those two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus, all right? And this is where Jesus comes along. He's already risen from the dead, and he, he sees it. They're troubled, and they're crying, and, and he says, what's going on? Why, why are you so sad? And they said, have you not heard? Have you, not, have you been in the area? And they talked to him about how he crucified Jesus, and imagine how humorous almost this is for Jesus. It's almost like he's like, <clears throat> you know, walking with them, and they have no idea who he is. So, Then he says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The reason that we are taking a a tour through the Bible as we are is because Jesus is the sum total of all of it. The prophets, we have found Jesus in every book of the Bible. He's the centerpiece. He is the Word made flesh. And so what he did was begin to show these who were what? They were slow of heart. They were foolish. And so Jesus then begins to teach them from the Scriptures. What is he doing? He's bringing God's wisdom to them so that they'll no longer be foolish He's bringing the word to them so that they'll no longer be slow of heart, but they will be believing. And this is what Abraham was saying. Moses and the prophets, if they won't believe that, it's, somebody could come from back from the dead. That's not going to matter because it's been plainly given in Scripture. And this is what I want to leave with you here today. Understand, this is why Paul said this in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the greatest way that you and I can reveal Jesus to this world by presenting his gospel. Miracles are great, but they don't save people. All right? Demonstration, the the supernatural, those are all wonderful things, but they don't save people. It's the gospel that saves people. It's that what they first must believe before anything else. That is what changes lives. And that's what Jesus is trying to get these guys to see. Hey, 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 look at the scriptures. They, they show you life. They show you me. It is the greatest way to reveal Jesus. Now, what, look at verse 32, and we'll finish. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? 
did not our heart burn within us? You cannot expect people to have any kind of hunger for the things of God if they don't know what to hunger for. And when you give them the word, when you give them the gospel, that's where the potential for hunger. Remember what Paul said? How are they going to hear? We must preach. We must preach. Come on, turn to somebody and tell them we must preach. Because listen to me, if you don't preach, then they won't hear. And if they won't hear, then they won't believe. And if they won't believe, then they won't call on the name of the Lord. And if they don't call on the name of the Lord, then they won't be saved. But if we preach, then they will hear. And if they hear, then they can believe. And if they believe, then they will call on the Lord. And if they call on the Lord, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We must not keep silent. But understand, this is the greatest way to reveal Christ. This nonsense, let us preach the gospel and use words if we have to, is nothing but religious garbage. All right? The gospel is words. Christ died for your sins. Come on, help me preach it right quick. Christ died for our sins according what? To the scriptures. And he was buried. And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. There it is right there. There's the gospel. Yeah, but, but, but don't... But, but we have to explain it. See, that's the problem. We've been doing too much of explaining of the gospel instead of just proclaiming the gospel. The gospel is the power. Your explanation of the gospel is not what's going to get people saved. The gospel itself will do it. Because this is a living message. This is a living, powerful message. So we just believe it, and we're not ashamed of it, and it's simplicity. Beautiful, isn't it? I learned this little thing about the Word of God when I was preaching here one Sunday. I was preaching on something, I'm going to guess it was grace or faith, probably a good guess. (laughs) And one of... uh, Somebody came up to me after the service, and a, a man, and he said, he said, Pastor Eric, he said, man, your sermon was right to me today. It was like, I, I've, been, I've been short-tempered with my wife, and, and when you were talking about just treating one another kindly and treating your spouse kind, he said, man, that was talking right to me. And I started thinking about what I'd preached on. I didn't say anything about what he just said I said. <laughs> I didn't say any of that. I was talking about something completely different. Watch. But the word, when it's released and they hear, it goes in and starts searching. And it starts getting, it goes to the where? It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the word that's alive and knows man, spirit, soul, and body, joints and marrow, goes in there and starts working on what needs to be worked on. Worked on. That's why I'm saying we don't have to over-explain the gospel. We just preach it and let it get to the heart of man. Amen. Praise God. Let's stand together. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. Thank you, Lord, for these books that we can look to and glean from. Lord, we thank you for Dr. Luke. He represents us. Hallelujah. He's just like us, a Gentile who was saved by grace through faith. And Father, we thank you for this testimony tonight as Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. We thank you that right now, God, 
There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Who is God and who is man. And as long as our Savior Jesus is sitting there at the right hand of the Father, all men have hope. We all have hope for mercy. We all have hope for grace. We all have hope for a very present help in time of need. We all have hope for Him making intercession for us. We all have hope of good things to come continually into our lives. We all have hope that what we say, He is the high priest of our confession. Thank you, Lord, for that. And, Lord, we stand in confidence today. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior. God became a man and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh. You walked the earth, God. You walked amongst us. You laid hands on the sick and they recovered. You raised the dead. You cast out devils. You came to seek and to save that which was lost. Hallelujah. Thank you that everybody you came in contact with that was uh, uh, impacted by the devil, you healed them. You went about doing good. Thank you, Lord. And then you gave the greatest gift to us, your own body broken for us and your own blood poured out for our sins. And when you died, so did we. And when you died, so did the power of sin and death. And when you rose again, hallelujah, Lord, you rose in life, life and that more abundantly. There was no, nothing that death could do about you coming back to life. That showed that you had power over death, hell, and the grave, hallelujah. And Lord, because you rose, we thank you that now we have assurance that we will rise again someday too. Even those that we've lost, God, those that we've cried over, those that we've mourned over, those that we miss right now, those that we've grieved for. Our, our loved ones, God, and friends, Lord, we know this, that they, if they were your children, God, they had believed on you, they're just around the corner, and they will rise, and we all will rise together, and someday we will all be together with you. Thank you for the hope and the assurance that we have by your resurrection, Lord, that we can overcome any obstacle in this world because you overcame everything for us. That's why you said, hey, in the world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. So we take cheer in you. We take joy in you. We take heart tonight. We take courage right now because whatever we're facing, nothing, nothing, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Hallelujah. And God is on our side. And since he's for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. For greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. We thank you that you continually give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now be with your people as they go from this place tonight. Thank you that they go in the blessing of God. They go in the favor of God. Lord, I thank you that they go home tonight, and when they lay down to go to sleep, they will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O oh Lord, make them dwell in safety. And I declare over all of their children, from Isaiah chapter 54, 13, all of their children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of yes. their children. Yes. In Jesus' name. Thanks. Now may the Lord bless you and keep yes. you and Thanks. cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you Thanks. peace. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.